like that. What's up, everybody, and welcome to that. this like Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. We are here live on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so make sure, since you're listening to it right now, that you are subscribed or following the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. Give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it because you like things before you try it. That's how we do things around here on the Logan Blackman Show. And then while you're at that as well, make sure you go and follow me on all forms, social media, Twitter, Instagram, go and like the Facebook page, and of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And again, make sure you are following or subscribed on the Apple Podcast and Spotify account. Search The Logan Blackman Show in all categories, and you should find it on Twitter, though. We do not use The Logan Blackman Show account anymore, so just follow Logan underscore Blackman, which is my personal account, and we will get you all sorted out on the social media train. So... Yes, it is Monday now, which means Saturday has happened. And if you get my drift or catch my drift to a certain extent, what I mean by Saturday has happened, the conference championship games have finished. And good Lord, we had some blowouts. And I'm not talking about like one or two. There's like... Almost every game was a double-digit win for the team that won. We got Utah and Oregon, 38-10, to which shouldn't have surprised anybody at all. I mean, if you watched a, like a half of that Utah-Oregon game that happened a month or a couple weeks ago, you would have known that Utah was going to win this game again. Maybe not kill them again, but they were definitely going to win. Ever since Rising has been the quarterback for them, I'm pretty sure they've been undefeated. Like, I don't know what it is. But Utah has been unstoppable, and now they're 10-3 and and are, in fact, going to the Rose Bowl as being crowned the Pac-12 champions after, again, trouncing Oregon 38-10, to and they'll be taking on Ohio State. But the thing is, with Oregon, not only, not only did they lose this game and lose it bad and lose really bad games throughout the year, like against Stanford, getting killed by Utah earlier, and then getting killed by Utah again. But the other thing is, they just lost their college football coach. They just lost their football coach. Mario Cristobal is set to become the newest head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. And there's two things that are very, very interesting with this. One, Oregon's coming off a very good season. Miami is not. Now, Miami is what you would call a sleeping giant, in the world of sports, meaning they're a big-time program, a big-time team that has not been good for the past few years, maybe decade, and they're on just a couple things away, the right people in charge of getting back to where they were in the 80s, in the 90s, in the early 2000s. But they're not there anymore. Not there right now. Mario Cristobal is from Miami, from Miami, Florida, played for the Miami Hurricanes. So that's not that surprising, Mario Cristobal, with all those links that happened in Miami, going to Miami. I think the surprising thing is that he really turned that Oregon program around. Like, they started getting good. They've been to a Pac-12 championship game. They won the the Rose Bowl in 2019 with Justin Herbert. They lost in the Fiesta Bowl. Yes, should they made the Pac-12 championship game in general? No, because, you know, they didn't because Washington opted out. The only reason Oregon had a shot at winning the conference title last year is because of the fact Washington said, nope, due to COVID, we're not going to play this thing. But the, the weirdest part about this whole transaction is that 
Miami hasn't even fired Manny Diaz yet. The the current head coach of the Miami Hurricanes, he hasn't even been fired yet. So they're sitting there. They've hired a guy, and their other guy's just chilling there still. And Manny Diaz is another Miami guy, but hasn't really done what was, you know, expected with Derek King coming over. They were ranked at the top 25 to start the season. Derek King gets hurt, and then we're just average again. Like what it has been the same trajectory for Miami over the past decade or thereabout. This is the same thing, pretty much, of when Matt Campbell got hired at Iowa State. Paul Rhodes didn't get fired when Matt Campbell got hired right away. <laughs> they, I don't, we talked about this a few weeks ago or a few days ago. I don't remember how long ago it was exactly. But they hired Matt Campbell, and Paul Rhodes was allowed to coach the last game of the season with, Paul, with Matt Campbell sitting up in the press box. Which is weird. I didn't, I didn't think that would happen again. I loved it because I thought I was really sick of Iowa State to do that. It's really nice, savage move from them. I didn't think I'd see it again. Now, Mario Cristobal is not going to be sitting up in a press box anywhere because to my knowledge, Miami is not going to a bowl game this year. I could be wrong. The bowl games will be officially official within the next hour. So, if we're still recording at that time, we will go over all the bowl games that are taking place around the world of college football. And there is a shit ton of games to go over. And we'll get over the rankings. The final college football playoff rankings came out this morning, so we'll go over those as well. But yeah, Oregon suffering two L's. Cristobal is gone, and they lost to Utah again. And this time, in much bigger circumstances in the Pac-12 championship game, and lost their tickets and their chance to go to the Rose Bowl. Now, I don't know if it's going to be like Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly, where he's just not going to coach the bowl game. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen for this. And I didn't know this was really a thing that was in the works. I didn't know he was really in the 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 market to move. But when you see all the links, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then while we're on the topic of coaches, coaching changes, the Carolina Panthers, and what was what a kind of surprising move for me was Joe Brady, their offensive coordinator, got fired today, Sunday. <laughs> And this is a guy that we have been talking about for the past few seasons of that he would eventually become the Cincinnati Bengals head coach because of the fact he's got Joe Burrow, he's got Jamar Chase, Zach Taylor at the time was not doing anything, but again, we gave him the benefit of the doubt that the Bengals are trash and he needs time to work. They're not just going to be amazing right away. And to be fair to Zach Taylor and to Mike Brown, which is something I never thought I'd say before, they gave him time allowed him to build a team, and they're looking really good. Not today, but we'll get over there in a little bit. But Joe Brady is now jobless, which, again, is kind of surprising, but not really the Panthers' offense. With all the pieces that are there, like preseason, they're expected to be good. Now, I, for one, thought they'd be good next year. I thought they'd wait a year and then start to be good. But getting fired now with the injuries they've had on offense, with the instability from the quarterback position they've had, I... I don't know if that's really fair to fire him. But now, I'm not... He's going to get a job somewhere. He's going to go somewhere. Like, will he go up... We go to Oregon now? We know he's not going to Oklahoma, but we've been talking about that since last Wednesday. About that job is just staple for Brent Venables. And then what, what the, the topic talking points on media is that they are zeroing in on Brent Venables, which is not surprising whatsoever. Brent Venables is soon to become Oklahoma's newest head coach. So where will Joe Brady end up going? What other jobs are really open right now? I don't know. Florida hired a coach. 
Louisiana just promoted one a guy a guy from within because they their their coach went to Florida. Lane Kiffin just re-signed a new contract with Ole Miss. Then what else? Miami's filled now. USC, Oklahoma soon to be filled. Notre Dame's filled. Marcus Freeman became the new head coach there. So did you go to Oregon? I don't know. I I think that's the most logical step for Joe Brady at this point in time. He's been a coach from around, he's been around a few teams through his time in college in the NFL. He was with William Mary, then he was with Penn State, the Saints, LSU, and then with the Panthers, and now he's, again, jobless. (laughs) And while we're on this topic of people moving around, okay, because we got conference football games to talk about, conference championship games to talk about here. We brought up Utah. The team Utah is reportedly playing in the Rose Bowl is Ohio State. The number one high school recruit in the nation from last year and the number the highest ever rated high school quarterback ever is transferring from Oklahoma, from Ohio State, which does not surprise me by any stretch of the imagination. We talked about Quinn Ewers quite a bit at the start of the season, and every single time we talked about Quinn Ewers, because this is technically a senior year of high school, but he, what, decommitted? <laughs> he uh, graduated early, I believe, and committed to Ohio State, got a shitload of money through NIL deals, and now is opting out, or is decommitting, or transferring, and going somewhere else. He's from Texas, does he go to a Texas school? Who the hell knows? But we got some schools we could look at for Quinn Ewers. But this is what we said prior to the season starting. If you remember going back to the start of the season, talking about Ohio State football, this is what we said. If Ohio State and or if, if Ohio State's good, but CJ Stroud is average, he'll lose his job next year. Because this was a similar situation that happened with Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant at Clemson. Kelly Bryant and Clemson got all the way to the national championship game. But Kelly Bryant was not the reason they got to a national championship game. He was just a pretty bang average quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is coming in as the number one rated high school recruit in the country. Number one quarterback. The next future of the NFL. Future of college football. And Kelly Bryant, you, yeah, you got him to an Addy, but what, what else? Did, you're not a great. You're not a great. And I used to yell at one of my friends about this because he used to say Kelly Bryant's guy's like, dude, no, he's not. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, once he walks on campus, will take the job. And that was the situation we were looking at with Ohio State. If C.J. Stroud was average or below average, Quinn Ewers was going to come in and start. You cannot have a quarterback rated that highly coming out of high school and never see him on the field. It'd be odd. I mean, there's, I guess there's a chance it could happen that he never sees the field, but it would have been a very odd one if C.J. Stroud did not play as well as he did. And at the start of the season, remember that the start of the season was when all those people were bashing C.J. Stroud, saying he was trash, they need to bench him, they do all this stuff. And then now he's going to go to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. He's not going to win it, but he's going to go to New York for them. Because if you looked at Ohio State's roster, it was very, very... It would have been like C.J. Stroud would have to try to be bad in Ohio State system. You have three first-round wide receivers. You got Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's not going to be this year, he'll be next year, but he'll be a first-rounder. You would have to try to be bad. So the odds of Quinn Ewers starting next year at Ohio State were very small anyways, but C.J. Stroud made those numbers of probably 
a 20% chance of Quinn Ewers starting down to about 0.1% of him starting next year. So Quinn Ewers, unsurprisingly, transferred. I believe they had another quarterback transfer too. But this is the number one overall player in the country coming out of high school. The highest rated quarterback coming out of high school ever is now in the transfer portal. And I beg, (laughs) Iowa, try to get Quinn Ewers, please. (laughs) Try. I mean, it can't be much worse than what they have right now. Please try. We'll get to Iowa in a little bit, but I want to stick on Quinn Ewers right now. So obviously, being from Texas, all the Texas schools will be linked with them. You got Texas A&M, Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech. Those will all be linked with them. Apparently, the the biggest link with him is Texas Tech. I don't know. Because if you look at the other schools in Texas, just the big schools, like Texas, yeah, they weren't great. Could they upgrade at quarterback? Probably. But Quinn Ewers has played, I think, five snaps at Ohio State. Is he really going to be the is he going to displace Casey Thompson or Hudson Card? I'm not saying they're the greatest things of all time, because they're certainly not, but there is, it'll be hard for him to do that, because Casey Thompson, though he played bad at times, did put up decent numbers this year. Hudson Card, as well, put up some decent numbers. For how bad Texas was, the pair only threw a combined 10 interceptions. What you would think for a 5-7 and team like that, the quarterback would be probably the worst position on the field, but both of them completed over 60% of their passes. Hudson Card threw five touchdowns, one pick. Casey Thompson threw 24 touchdowns and one pick, or nine picks. Bijan Robinson's on there. Like, Quinn Ewers come in? Possibly, because Hudson Card, I believe, is a freshman as well. So does he displace him? And then you got Texas A&M, who's going to be mentioned in this list as well. Their starting quarterback got hurt, I believe, in the Colorado game. I believe that's the game he got hurt. I'm not 100% confident in saying that, but Haynes King is a freshman from Texas as well, okay? He had three 300 yards passing, two touchdowns, three picks on the season. And his last game was, yeah, okay, he got hurt against Colorado. That's what I thought. And then Calzada comes in, beats Bama, and takes Texas A&M to an 8-4 season, which, in hindsight, is that underachieving for them? Probably. The expectation that were things, looking at them at the start of the season with how good players they had on defense and on offense, yeah, they were expected to do a little bit better than that. But is Haynes King going to come back and be the starter next year? Or could Quinn Ewers come in and take the starting job over down there? Because if you're looking at the Texas schools, the one that has the most draw is A&M. Easily. Which is weird now. Say If you told me that 15 years ago that A&M would be the bigger draw between Texas, 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 and Tech. Good Lord. Between Texas, Texas A&M, and Texas Tech, I would have called you crazy. So at that time... Like, even Texas Tech were really fun to watch. Graham Harrell, Mike Leach, Michael Crabtree. They were a passing machine. A&M were just average. Texas was competing for national championships with Colt McCoy. Like, A&M was the third best team in Texas pretty easily. And then they made the shocking move to the SEC and have become a very respectable program. Have one of the biggest stadiums in college football. So if we're looking at the Texas schools and which one he's most likely to start at, yeah, Texas Tech will probably be the best bet for him to start. Texas Tech finished 6-6 this year. Alan Bowman transferred to Michigan. They brought in Tyler Show from Oregon. He got hurt. I believe he broke his collarbone. And their quarterbacks haven't been anything spectacular whatsoever. Their leading touchdown getter was Tyler Show with six touchdowns. 
Donovan Smith had six, and then Henry Columbia had five touchdowns with five interceptions. So if you're looking at the most likely guaranteed, I would say he's guaranteed to start here. I, the most guaranteed place for Quinn Ewers to start is Texas Tech. If he wants to play after sitting on the bench for a year at Ohio State, this is where he should go. If he wants to play right away. If we're talking about just Texas schools. Now my fear is, with Quinn Ewers being as highly touted as he did, and transferring this early, kind of gives me Tate Martell vibes. Now he's a much higher rated quarterback than Tate Martell was. But you look at Tate Martell's career trajectory, was at A&M, decommitted, went to Ohio State, Dwayne Haskins balls out, and then Justin Fields transfers. So then quit. he's not getting the job there, so he transfers to Miami, expecting to get the job there. Loses the job to, uh, what was his name? Number 15, Jaron Williams, I think it was his name. And Nikozi Perry was the other quarterback. He lost out there and was playing wide receiver. Now he's at UNLV. I hope Quinn Ewers doesn't turn into that because there are some, ta- like watching him on like his camps and stuff, it's very effortless with what he does. But it's, it's back foot throws a lot, which, I mean, can work. Aaron Rodgers throws a lot of back, throw, back foot throws. He's the most accurate thrower off his back foot in NFL history. Quinn Ewers is not Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so he'll need to probably adjust that to a certain extent. I'm not saying scrap it completely. Because I hate the people that are like, change your mechanics now. Like, there's a lot of great quarterbacks in the NFL and in college that did not have the greatest mechanics ever. Quinn Ewers makes it look very effortless, but he's got to stop throwing off his back foot so often. Because that would work in high school. Because you're playing in Texas, you play for a big-time Texas school, you're going to have weapons outside that can get past them, and you're going to probably play some teams that are slower. In college, everybody's fast. And once you get to the NFL, everybody's faster. You keep ramping up in speed as you go up. Now, it's not like as drastic as people make it out to be. I remember when I went to William Penn, everyone's like, oh, college football's so fast. And it's fast, but... You've already played high school football, so it's like this is the natural next step. It's not like it's going from cycling to IndyCar. It's not like that at all. It is a step up, but it's like going from NASCAR to IndyCar, which isn't like an insane jump. It is a jump, but not an insane one. But the back the back foot thing won't work as well, as consistently as what he looks like. It, work for, it, work, it looks like it works for him well. He's going to need to change that to a certain extent. I'm not saying change his throwing motion. It is kind of a weird motion, to put it lightly. It is kind of a weird one. But, yeah, that's probably, if we're just talking Texas schools, that's the most likely one. But the school I think he should transfer to, because I think it would be awesome to see, is Ole Miss. Do you know how much fun it would be to have Quinn Ewers with Lane Kiffin? Do you know how awesome it would be? Because if you look at the Texas schools, Texas Tech is not great. They don't have a head coach right now, at least to my knowledge. They haven't been very good for a few years now. Like, they put up gaudy numbers, but that's nothing that, like, they're not an insane football team. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes went there. Graham Harrell had a lot of success there. They don't have Mike Leach and Cliff Kingsbury there anymore. They don't know who their coach is anymore, so we don't know what, what they're going to look like. Texas just finished 5-7. and seven. They have two young quarterbacks there already. Would... Quinn Ewers being an upgrade on them? Possibly. But those guys aren't the main reason why Texas sucked this year. And AM, they've got a couple of young quarterbacks as well. Does he displace them right away? I don't know. The thing with Ole Miss is that Matt Corral is leaving. Matt Corral is going to go to the NFL. 
It's already like a month ago. He put in his things, his letter for the NFL draft. It was on my birthday. He said he's going to the NFL draft. Because I remember sitting at Noah's restaurant in Des Moines, Iowa, Noah's Ark, sitting down eating some nice Italian food and watching it or seeing his Instagram post. At least I think it was that night. I might be confusing a few things, but I think it was that night. <laughs> but Lane Kiffin with Quinn Ewers, that would be awesome. That's where I want him to go. Out of all the schools that I would that he could go to, Ole Miss is the one that I would like him to go to. USC is going to be in there as well, but they're going to have a shitload of quarterbacks go in. I mean, if you want to get the best coach for quarterbacks, go to Lincoln Riley. But they've got a lot of quarterbacks coming in. Now, if Quinn Ewers is as good as they say he is, I don't imagine he'd have a lot of problems breeding out everybody. But seeing all these young guys going, he's going to probably be like, I don't want to sit or have the option to sit or the, the scare of sitting. I don't know. I hope he's not Tate Martell 2.0. That's the that's the thing I fear the most. That's the thing I fear the most about Quinn Ewers. But if I'm Quinn, I know the Texas thing, but I would go to Ole Miss. If I would rank the places I would like him to see or like him to go, Ole Miss, A&M, Texas, Texas Tech. But I think Texas Tech's the most likely one, from what it sounds like anyways. Because Quinn Ewers, I would like to see him on a national stage. Like, Texas and Texas A&M, you will get on the national stage. Being in the SEC and just being Texas, you'll be on the national stage. Texas Tech, you won't be. But maybe that's not a, that's not such a bad thing. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. Who knows? Ole Miss, you would be on there as well. Especially with how Lane Kiffin's transformed that program back into a legit, a legit team now. Whew. But yeah, there's a lot going on in college football right now. And... Going back to conference championship games, the other game on Friday was Western Kentucky taking on UTSA. UTSA won, and they did exactly what we said they needed to do to win this game. Give the ball to Sincere McCormick and control the clock. Sincere McCormick had 36 carries for 204 yards and three touchdowns. And if you're talking, if you're looking at the time of possession in this game, UTSA had 36 minutes of the football. Western Kentucky had it for 23 minutes. They also had three turnovers in the game as well, which is not ideal. Bailey Zappi threw three, two interceptions on the game, and Jareth Stearns fumbled. Not a great recipe for success, <laughs> especially when UTSA is having their way with the round game. Am I surprised they won? No, because we said that's what they would need to do if they wanted to win the game, was keep the ball out of Western Kentucky's hands on offense, and run the ball with Sincere McCormick. They did that, and they rightfully won the game. Going on to Saturday, going on with the early games, we had Baylor upset Oklahoma State with a backup quarterback. Oklahoma State could not punch it in from the one-yard line. It felt like 100 times. Spencer Sanders threw four interceptions, and with that, Baylor beating Oklahoma State, that guaranteed whether or not Alabama lost on Saturday, Bama was going to be in the college football playoff. Because I've seen this all over social media. Now, Alabama won, so it didn't really matter. They beat Georgia fairly handily, 41-24. to Bryce Young had himself a game and a half, and he's probably, now, that's the Heisman game you're looking for. We talked about that earlier in the season, about where's the Heisman game. That's it. The number one team in the nation, the team that no one said could be beaten this year, that Alabama doesn't stand a chance against, they put 41 points on them. Bryce Young threw four touchdowns in the game. Jamison Williams had 184 yards. 
Or he had three touchdowns on the game. I think he had a rushing touchdown in there as well, Bryce Young. But going into that game, I was, we said this on Friday, people are going to be so upset because Alabama will make it if Oklahoma State loses, regardless if they won or lost. And I hate the people that are like that because the only reason they are like that is because they're all butthurt because Alabama wins all the time. I was talking to a friend last night, Saturday night, and he was like, you're not cheering for Alabama. He was like, I'm not cheering for anybody, but are you one of those losers that cheers against Bama just because they win? And he is. He is like that, and I made fun of him for it. Because that's a stupid mindset to have. What has Bama ever done to Iowa or Iowa State? Just speaking from Iowa terms. Like, I have people, friends from high school that hate Alabama. Why? Other than the fact they win, why do you hate Alabama? They have never, to my knowledge, done anything to Iowa or Iowa State. Nick Saban, I don't think, has ever beaten Iowa. So why do people hate <laughs> Alabama from the state of Iowa? And they trounced Oregon on Saturday. It was close for a little bit, and then Alabama took it to them. <laughs> they were up 24-17 at halftime, and they just kept the foot down. Oregon couldn't do anything on offense. They faced an offense finally this year they could not keep up with. And we talked about it this year. The entire season, their defense is awesome. Their offense doesn't really need to do a whole lot. It just needs to not turn the ball over. And they'll be fine. They will win games. Every game they have won this year, apart from the first game of the season and, you know, this game, they won by double digits. Because now that they lost, everybody's on their, all their, oh, Georgia didn't play anybody this year. We didn't hear that the entire year. Why did this get, just get talked about right now? Oh, now Oregon hasn't played anybody. We weren't saying that when Oregon beat up on Arkansas, beat up on Auburn, beat up on Kentucky, who were all top 15 teams at the time, or top 20 teams at the time, because I guess Oregon was 18, or Auburn was 18th. Didn't say that when they beat number three Clemson. Back then it was fine. Now we're complaining about it. Alabama just beat the number one team in the nation. Michigan won a game they were supposed to win by double digits. Easily won the game. Alabama beat a team they were not supposed to beat because no one was supposed to beat that team. And this is the team that, oh, Alabama's finally going to get their just desserts. They're finally going to lose. And they beat them by double digits. Of course Alabama was going to jump them. And if you look at strength of schedule and all that stuff, every single mark is for Alabama. Like, they play in the toughest conference in in college football and people want to bring up their loss to Texas A&M like why we don't need to go over what Michigan did Michigan struggled against Nebraska they struggled against Rutgers and they lost to Michigan State they lost by 49 to Ohio State the team you beat by double digits the last game of the regular season yeah they beat the team you lost to by 49 and people are all crying that Cincinnati didn't move up and Alabama jumped them I don't care. I really don't care. Like ESPN Power Football Index. Alabama's higher. U.S. Today Sagarin rankings. Michigan's higher. They're number one. Michigan's actually number four. Number four. Strength of schedule. Mich- Alabama's is number four. Michigan's is 21. Sagarin strength of schedule rankings. Alabama's seven. Michigan, 31. ESPN FPI offensive efficiency rating. Alabama, three. Michigan, five. ESPN FBI defense efficiency rating. Alabama 5, Michigan 11. Record versus college football playoff top 25. 3-1 for Bama, 2-1 for Michigan. 
and then wins against CFP top 10. Alabama has two. Michigan has one. Like, there's no real reason other than people just don't like Alabama why they should not be number one. That's the only argument I've heard people make about Michigan not being number one. They beat a team they were supposed to beat by double digits and did, yet Alabama beat a team by double digits that they were not supposed to beat that was ranked number one that was supposed to be invincible and dropped 41 points on their ass. Like, I I don't want to hear it. There's no argument there. (laughs) If people want to say college football playoff bias and college football bias towards the SEC, no. If we're really looking at it, and I hate doing this, but if you want to look at it from who would win between Bama and Michigan, come on. Ohio State's defense the entire season has not been quoted as one of the best in college football. They don't have an edge rusher like Will Anderson coming off the edge who leads the country in sacks. They don't have Christian Harris and Henry Toto at linebacker. They don't have Josh Job or Kool-Aid McKinstry out at corner. They have Jordan Battle at safety. No, their defense is not very good. You're not doing to Ohio State what you did, or you're not doing to Alabama what you did to Ohio State. That's not going to work. Bryce Young is going to win the Heisman Trophy, and now that John Mechie's out, that kind of evens the playing field for everybody because John Mechie sadly tore his ACL in the game against Georgia, which is a really big loss. I love watching John Mechie play. He's one of my favorite players in all of college football because that dude is probably going to run a 4-3-40 and he'll block anybody. He'll lower his shoulder into anybody. He does not care. This dude is a football player. And now he's out for the season and probably won't... Well, I don't know if he'll go to the NFL draft or not. If he does, fair play, but his stock will be dropped a little bit. He's not a senior, so he can come back if he wants to. But I'm tired of the Michigan or Alabama thing. I'm not doing it. I'm not here for it. And then talking about Georgia and Cincinnati, because these are the two things I've seen on TV and on Twitter and on Instagram today. Not TV, but Instagram and Twitter. How did Cincy not jump jump Georgia? Well, Georgia was number one and just lost to number three. And if your only argument is that Cincinnati's undefeated, they're in the AAC. And they struggled to beat Tulsa, Tulane, and Navy. Yeah, they beat Houston as a top 25 team, but they did it at home. Houston and Cincinnati, I don't know if you know this, geographically are not in the same region. Two completely different weather patterns in there. Like, I don't care that Cincy's undefeated. They made it. They were lucky to get in. If they lost... At any point throughout the season, they were not getting in. The fact that they're undefeated is great for them, and it's something that no one else in college football did, but you weren't undefeated in the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the ACC even. You're undefeated in the AAC, which is good. It's all fine and dandy, but they were never going to move up in the rankings. They were going to stay at four unless Alabama lost. And only that was the only moment they were moving up, or Michigan lost which Michigan was never going to lose. But if Alabama lost, that was the only way they were really realistically moving up. And people are like, oh, they want to do the Alabama-Georgia thing. No, that's just how rankings work. And then the stupid people that want to throw Baylor in there. Baylor? Over Georgia? <laughs> I mean, Big Game Sooner is a guy on Twitter, or a girl, I guess I don't know, who posts things on social media, and I don't, like, I don't think 
it actually means 100% what they say because most loyal coaches in college football, Nick Saban was one, Ferentz is two. Saban's had three coaching jobs since Ferentz has had his one. So I don't know if that's really, you can't really make a mark for him being the most, I think it's just for clicks, attention, to get comments on, and he's getting a growing profile on social media. But he had Baylor in the college football playoff final four. How? How can you justify Baylor? And the only logic thing you could say about Baylor being is they won their conference. Okay. So? <laughs> they were really doing, they have two losses. People were complaining about, would they really put a two-loss Alabama team in? But now we're going to willingly throw Baylor's two-loss ass into the playoff? Over Georgia. The team that's been number one ranked team in the nation for most of the season. They're out because they lost a third-ranked Bama. And Baylor's going to jump up from nine to four after beating the fifth-ranked team in the nation. They wouldn't move up to number four if they beat the number one team in the nation, let alone beat number five. Their only thing is that they won their conference championship. And that people want to see something different in the playoff. And Baylor, like they would, moved up two spots, as you normally do when you beat a fifth-ranked team. Alabama beat the number one ranked team, and people are upset that they moved up two spots. Why? <laughs> Good Lord. Georgia, they dropped two spots. They lost the number three team in the nation. They're only dropping two spots. They were never, ever, ever dropping out of the top four, and they were never, ever, ever going to be behind Cincinnati in the rankings. Like, the people that want this are just upset with the SEC in general and go, oh, it's rigged for the SEC. No, Georgia is better than Cincinnati. Georgia shits on Baylor. Like, we're not doing this. Baylor's got a backup quarterback playing right now, and they lost to TCU. Like, people want to talk about Alabama losing to Texas A&M. Is there, would they put two loss Alabama in? They lost to TCU, who finished 5-7 and seven and almost lost to Kansas and got shit stomped by Iowa State. Like, really? We're going to make an argument for Baylor going into the playoff, but we would cry if Alabama made it with two losses. That's how some people think, and I don't understand how that works. Baylor moves up five spots after beating Oklahoma State, who almost lost to Missouri State and Tulsa weeks one and two, and lost to Iowa State as well. Like, come on, get off it. Seriously, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. These college football playoff rankings and the entire existence of the college football playoff, you should be the least mad about these rankings than any rankings that have ever come out prior to this. This is the most accurate rankings they have ever had on the college football playoff, but people are still trying to find ways to complain about it because that's just the age we live in now where no one can be happy and we're trying to make BS excuses for Baylor to make the college football playoff. We like, didn't we just go over that Alabama should never make it if they had two losses, but Baylor just because they won their conference championship with two losses and one of them being to TCU would jump up five spots to number four. That's that's it. And won by four points or five points. And played in a really garbage game. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, they moved up two spots because that's how you move up things. And then people trying to make arguments for Notre Dame going in. No, that that was never happening. Notre Dame is the most over, next to Oregon, and you could argue Iowa as well, 
Well, Iowa, when they were number two, you could make the argument. Not now, because they're 15th. But Notre Dame at five is the most overrated team in college football. People complain about these teams, like Georgia's a play anybody. Notre Dame, their one ranked game of the season that they won was against Wisconsin. And they lost to Cincinnati. Like, Notre Dame, they struggled to beat Florida State and Toledo. They almost lost to Virginia Tech. Like, what what argument is Notre Dame realistically going to have to get into the playoff? They don't even have a head coach right now. Or they do now, but their head coach that was the coach for most of the season quit and went to LSU. This is literally the least amount anybody can complain about. The only thing I could say is that Notre Dame should not be number five, but they're 11-1, so I can't really say anything about it. Baylor should never have had a shot at making the playoff. People that say they're stupid. Georgia was never going to drop below Cincinnati. Michigan is fine at two. Bama beat a team that they were not supposed to ever beat by double digits. So yeah, they're going to move up. Michigan was supposed to kill Iowa. That was the expectation going into this game. I don't know if you could find the most loyal Iowa fan ever that would have said Iowa can beat Michigan after what they just watched against Ohio State. And after watching what Iowa did against Purdue and Wisconsin. A Wisconsin team that Michigan killed earlier in the season. There was not one fan that thought that. If it was at Kinnick, completely different story. Then I would be like, oh yeah, I think there's a chance. But being in Indianapolis, there was no chance of this game actually coming out in favor of Iowa. Zero chance. And not to mention they struggled against Penn State too. We didn't forget about, we forgot about that game too. Like Michigan, you want to know how many ranked teams they beat? this year and this is at the time they were ranked two one the last game of the regular season and then now Iowa they played <laughs> you want to talk about cupcake schedule people can blame about Oregon 13 of the 14 teams the SEC are making a couple game this year the Big Ten here's Michigan's tough schedule Ooh, murderers row of teams Western Michigan Washington Northern Illinois who won the the Mac so congratulations to them Rutgers, who they won by beat by seven, Wisconsin, Nebraska, who they won by three points, Northwestern, and then Michigan State, which they lost to, who remember got beat by 49 points to Ohio State, then Indiana, Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. And people want to complain about Georgia's schedule. At the time they played them, they played two ranked teams in the regular season. Georgia played two in the span of two weeks. They played four or five teams the regular season that were ranked at the time they played them. And Michigan State played two and lost to one of them. And blew the lead against them, if I remember correctly. So I don't want to hear the excuses for Bama being, oh, Michigan, yeah, you won your conference. You're fine at two. And you're probably going to get beat by Georgia. I would like to see Michigan versus Alabama so we can end this whole stupid debate. And I think it'd be funny to see Georgia beat Michigan because we can have the people on Twitter stop talking about how Michigan was quote-unquote screwed out of being the number one team in the nation after they barely beat Rutgers, Penn State, and Nebraska and lost to Michigan State. Because you won your conference. You were the biggest spread of the weekend. (laughs) Oh my God. And about that game... Oh my god! I don't think I've had lower expectations going into a game my entire life than this one. But the thing is, I don't. Iowa met that not met. They exceeded my expectations. 
And when I say exceeded, I mean they went below what I expected. 42 to 3. And the crazy part about this is there's nothing that if you just look at the stat sheet, Michigan didn't dominate the game, which is weird to say for how many points they scored. Iowa just couldn't, they didn't do anything the entire game. The first drive of the game was like, okay, they might actually do something here. This is getting compelled. Oh, the false hope is what kills you. And then Nate, and then Shudak missed the field goal, and it's like, okay, back to reality. Like, the first two touchdowns Michigan had were a 60-something-yard touchdown by Blake Corum, and then a passing touchdown by their wide receiver, Donovan Edwards. 75-yard passing touchdown. Like, they threw two interceptions before halftime. And then it was 14-3, to 14-6 if Shudak hits the field goal. Maybe even 14-14 if Brian Ferentz remembers how to call plays. But you know what? We don't need to talk about Brian Ferentz because I have enough people defending Brian Ferentz for some unknown reason on Twitter. So it's 14-3 at half. And then Michigan explodes for 7 points in the third and then 21 points in the fourth. And I didn't even see the last touchdown. I stopped watching it when it was 35-3. We were at a friend's house watching it. I went home, tied to my parents, and when I pulled up the score, oh, they scored again. It was 42-3. Not 35-3. to I thought they would just take the foot off the gas. Nope. Same thing Stanford did in the Rose Bowl. Did not take the foot off the gas. And I'm not... I'm kind of surprised by this. I didn't hear any abuse from any Iowa State fan this week. Like, I was really surprised. We're in a fantasy football league with half the people in the league Iowa State fans. And all very loud Iowa State fans at that. Not one of them said anything about Iowa. Because I think, yeah, you can make fun of them, but Iowa fans have already made fun of that. Like, there's not really a lot to make fun of. You can't really hurt somebody if they're already dead inside. That doesn't really work. (laughs) They'll make fun of them as well. Like, oh, Iowa should never have been number two. Yeah, I think every Iowa fan said that, apart from three crazy people. Oh, Iowa's lucky to be the Big Ten Championship game. Yeah, so they needed a team to win. And in hindsight, I wish Wisconsin beat Minnesota, so we didn't have to witness that. But in the, and also, the game would have been the same. Wisconsin wouldn't have done anything against Michigan on Saturday either. But it, I don't know if it had been 42-3. It might have been 35-10. to 10, I would say it was the score for Wisconsin if they played in the Big Ten Championship game. Oh, Iowa only played in a Big Ten. They didn't have Wisconsin. They only played Wisconsin or Michigan. Wisconsin. They didn't play Ohio State or, or Michigan State. Okay? So if they didn't make the Big Ten Championship, you're going to go, oh, they didn't make the Big Ten. They didn't play Ohio State. Like, there's, there's really no argument there. The strength of schedule thing's funny because of the fact that Iowa State tanked at the end of the season and blew their record to 7-5. and five. Like That's all you heard on Twitter. And then this game, 42-3. I think this game just kind of makes fun of itself. And this was brutal. We said before the game started that if Iowa just keeps things central and does short passes or where, where Spencer Peters doesn't need to drop three steps because their offensive line can't hold back Hutchinson or Ojabo, Keep things centralized. Like, they ran a vert down the sideline early in the game. I think it was to Keegan Johnson who got called for pass interference on Daxton Hill, which we said, don't test Daxton Hill because he's one of the best safeties in college football, one of the best center fielders in college football. They got away with one on that because he got on pass interference call, but it was a one hitch. It wasn't a three-step drop. He's in the backfield, cocked throw, out like that. And is it weird that the play started going down once – Iowa stopped going off their scripted plays. Because I don't know if a lot of you know this, college football and the NFL, you script out your first 10 to 15 plays, maybe even 20 plays. 
Because you talk about that the entire day of practice, and then after that, you find out what works, and then you either change it or stay something similar. You don't go exactly, jeez, back to the script, but you do similar things, so you know what works, you know what doesn't. Iowa, weirdly, said, you know what? Screw Aiden Hutchinson and screw David Ojaba. We don't really thr- we don't really respect them that much. We're going to run a thousand bootlegs and we're going to run plays with all these fake handoffs to delay our rollout so then they're in the backfield before our quarterback is. Like, what the hell? And I, the, my least favorite thing I've seen on social media after this game is people com- saying, oh, Brian Ferentz got you 10 wins. No, they this 10-win season is in spite of this offense. Iowa scored... What, what, what's the stat? I took a screenshot of it last night. It's something ridiculous. Where is it at? There it is. Iowa has... No, not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Where is it at? I had a screenshot of it. Now I can't find it. I did DM it to somebody because I thought it was hilarious. But Iowa doesn't score touchdowns. <laughs> Especially not passing touchdowns. They just don't do it. I don't know what the hell is... Okay, here it is. Iowa's offense scored nine total touchdowns since the Penn State game, which was seven games ago. Two passing touchdowns in seven games. And people are really defending Brian Ferentz. Because, yeah, Peters and Padilla suck. We know that. But at least try to put them in situations to where they can be somewhat successful. This team did not win ten games because of the offense. This offense is worse than Kansas's offense. This offense won because Iowa led the nation in interceptions. Which allowed them to play with shorter fields. They won because Torrey Taylor's pinning the other team down at the five-yard line, causing the other team to punt it so Iowa starts at the 50. They did not have long sustained drives, apart from early stages in the season when you said, wow, this team actually looks somewhat decent. No, stop defending Brian Ferentz. I don't care. I don't care they won 10 games. You can be... Contra- or not what, what is the word I'm looking for? Controversial, I guess. You can have a negative opinion about your team. You don't need to suck the dick of every single person on your favorite team. I hate that. I see it all over social media. And every fan base has that. Where you're not going to say a single negative thing about it, even though your eyes are telling you this is dog shit. After the Wisconsin game, how could the Purdue game, how could you sit there and go, you know what? This team deserves to go to the Big Ten Championship game. Yeah, they were lucky to go to the Big Ten Championship game. Their offense was lucky to go to the Big Ten Championship game. Kirk Ferentz dropping the stupid quote of, we would have sat at home if Deuce Hogan had started. Now Deuce Hogan's transferring. We don't know if he's going to be a good quarterback someday. But you don't say that because quarterback's 90% confidence. You're a kid that's never seen the field in college. Guess what? We're going to nail your confidence to the freaking floor because we're going to say, yeah, we're going to stay at home if this dude has the play. Don't say that. I know it was tongue-in-cheek. I know it was kind of a joke. It doesn't matter. Don't say it. I love Kirk Ferentz. I would rarely say anything bad about Kirk Ferentz. Brian, screw off. I don't care. And people are going, he's not going anywhere. He won 10 games this year. Yeah, he's not going anywhere this year because as long as Kirk's there, sadly, Brian's going to be there. That's how it's going to work. Like, who the hell, what other team would be? Would he be an offensive coordinator for if his last name wasn't Ferentz? An NAIA school? NAIA D2 school? What level is he coaching at realistically and he's the offensive coordinator? O-line coach? Understand. I got that. Offensive coordinator. Because if his last name ain't Ferentz, he definitely ain't in Iowa. 
He might have played at Iowa. He ain't coaching there. Like, it's ridiculous. I feel for Phil Parker 100%. That dude is the best defensive coordinator in the country, give or take, because I know Brent Venables could be mentioned up there as well. I feel bad for them. So we had some fights at William Penn between the offense and defense because the offense at time would go stagnant. The defense doesn't like that. We had a really good defense. They can get frustrated. I would love to see the practices at Iowa and go, oh, yeah, they're, they're completely get along. There's probably some fights at practice without them not moving the ball and people complaining about the O-line. That's exactly why we said do short passes and do short drops. The O-line cannot handle Ajabo and Hutchinson and the other players on Michigan's defense. Crossing routes, if you're going to run a vert, quick drop, don't do a three-step, definitely don't do a five-step. And after the first drive, we saw all those things come back into play. We saw Petrus get benched for Alex Padilla. And in the game, Padilla threw 10 passes, completed 10 passes for 38 yards. Iowa, and this was a funny, I think it was Mike Golett Jr. that said this, Iowa has so many plays that are drawn up to go two yards short of the line, the first down marker. Now that one, I will say, is a mixture of Brian Ferentz and the player, because the player has to know where the route's going to be, or where the sticks are going to be. You have to know where the first down marker is going to be. But also, there's the offer of timing. If your timing's off, you're not going to get the throw. Because if you think he's going to break, he doesn't break. He's actually going down two more yards. You're going to throw a pick, and more likely than not, it's going to be a pick six. If we're talking an out route. Because I think Sam Laporta ran about 100 out routes during this game. Like, we had a very nice drive to start. It's like, wow, this is looking good. And then they missed the field goal. It's like, fine. It's okay. It's okay. Like, they held Michigan to a short drive at the first game, drive of the game. And then it was three-step drops, a bunch of stupid fake handoffs, and two-yard passes. Like, when I say quick, you can run a quick pass that goes for more than two yards. Slant routes. They don't go... You rarely slant routes stop at two yards. You run up three, cut in. Or three steps, cut in. Hit him right when he's on his break. Or right when he's... You can tell from the slot receiver. Have both of them run a slant. One run an out route, one run a slant. Whichever one he follows, throw the opposite one. Stop throwing to the sideline as much as well. That was infuriating. The amount of times they hit tight ends over the middle and it worked was awesome. And then they kept going, you know what, we're going to throw it out. There was one play, Iowa was driving, I think Keegan Johnson ran a route, and he got hit, and everybody was yelling for pass interference. Well, yeah, it was pass interference if if Keegan Johnson was 10 foot tall. The ball was 40 yards out of bounds. It's not catchable. I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback throw so many uncatchable footballs in my entire life than Spencer Petras. Like, this dude supposedly broke Jared Goff's high school records, and I know Jared Goff's not the greatest quarterback of all time, but this dude was the number one overall pick for a reason. And Petrus is just not that. And you can talk about his development. Has he developed from last year to this year at all? Because remember last year, it was the COVID excuse. He never worked with the offense before. But yeah, that excuse works if he's a freshman. This dude's a junior or redshirt sophomore who's been with the same people his entire career at Iowa. And now he's the starter and he's just supposedly never thrown to them ever. Because that's what it sure as hell looked like. 
He has not developed at all. In some cases, he's gone worse than he did last year. And you know where that comes down to? Coaching! Like, Peterson and Petit are bad, yes. But they're not coached well at all. I don't think Padilla throws... Has he ever thrown a spiral in his entire life? And I know it's not the main end-all and be-all of being a quarterback, but at least throw one. I don't think I've ever seen a wobblier football since Peyton Manning retired. Like, good Lord. Like, it's just cancer to watch. It's depressing. Like, everything about this team is depressing. There's nothing that they did that was like, oh, yeah, this is a good offense. There are people that defend them. I, I feel sorry for you. I don't know what your issue is, how you can't, your eyes don't work. And just go, you know what? They're Iowa. We're not going to say anything bad because you have to back your team. Okay? So you're just yes men? That's what you want to be known as? You hear something's terrible and you just go, oh, yeah. That's fine, though. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I support you no matter what. You know the worst people that can be your friends are yes men. You don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of yes men. And that's what a lot of fans are like. And that makes the team look even worse than what it is. Because they're just deluded. I don't know what the... I I don't get it. Like, I remember I came home last night. And after the game was over... I sat there and I was like, I'm not, I, I mean, I didn't expect them to win. This game didn't go, I didn't think they get, you know, anally pounded as much as they did. But I didn't think they'd lose 42-3. to three. I think the max score we said was 27-10. I said 20-10 to 10 and then 27-10 to 10 was my two score predictions. Uh, it almost combined both of them, take a little more points off, and then you got the exact score pretty much. Like, I sat there and I was like, I'm not even that mad sitting and watching the game. I had a good time hanging out with friends and, like, this is what it's been the entire year. Like, you're upset. It's nothing that you haven't seen before. You've watched the same team the entire season. You watched them against Purdue, against Wisconsin, struggle against Northwestern, struggle at times against Nebraska. Like, this is what you expected. But then I got home, and as I got home, the more mad I got. Thinking about everything that went on in the game and why they just said, screw it. We're going to run at Hutchinson, at Ajabo. Run a bunch of rollouts, run a bunch of fake handoffs, throw nothing else but to the sidelines. The middle was working. The middle was working. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the biggest brainiac when it comes to calling a football game. But I'm sitting here and saying, I said everything that worked for Iowa last night worked. Everything I said would work, worked for Iowa. And then they just completely threw it away. And said, you know what? We're going to throw sideline routes and run a bunch of rollouts. And you don't think Michigan's smart enough to realize that? And beat the shit out of you? And the more and more I sat there and was like, God damn it. This is infuriating. Because I know there's going to be idiots on Twitter that are going to be going, oh, you can't say anything about, about the team. You're out. You're supporting the team. You got to back them 100%. Shut up. Shut up. I don't care. Now, Iowa, after losing 42-3 to in the Big Ten Championship game, getting embarrassed in a big-time game for the second time in the past six years, getting shit-tomped by Stanford, 
and then getting embarrassed again for the third time this year. All three of their losses have been embarrassing. And now I don't think I ever saw, I, there's a majority of Hawkeye fans that are on Twitter that after every game was like, this is fine. They struggled against Illinois as well. This is fine. This is, this is fine. Back the players. Back the players. Well, you can back the players to the freaking toilet bowl as far as I'm concerned. I don't really care. But now they're playing. No, back the players. Back the players. I, I shouldn't have said any. I'm heated right now. Not the players. They're 18 to 22-year-old kids. I mean, I'm not going to say anything necessarily that bad about the players apart from Peter Sabidia's stink. But you could say screw Brian Ferentz all you want. I don't care. The dude's 40-something years old. Screw it. 30, 40-something only reason he has his job is because his last name is Ferentz. That's it. That's literally it. You notice the two coaches he's coached under are Belichick and Ferentz. You know Ferentz worked for Bill Belichick in Cleveland? His only two jobs really have been connections through his dad. Did he earn them? No, not really. Why did he get off to coordinator job? Who knows? If we're talking about skill level, I don't know. And the sad thing is, yeah, he's not going anywhere. That's the problem. And one of my friends said, if Kirk Ferentz left, but that meant Brian Ferentz was gone too, would you take it? And I hate that I'm saying this, but yeah. If Kirk Ferentz left, and that meant Brian Ferentz was gone, yeah, I'd be cool with it. I will never say a bad word about Kirk Ferentz, apart from his stupid Deuce Hogan quote, and some of his quarterback decision-making that he does, where he never benches his starters. He's got this weird, undying loyalty to his starters or upperclassmen, but if he left, I would be fine because that means Brian would leave. Would that mean we're promoting within with LeVar Woods? I don't know if Phil Parker would want to be a head coach, get Chris Kleiman from Kansas State, Mark Stoops out of the question now, he just signed a new deal, Joe Brady from Panthers, he can coach an offense, watch what he do with a bunch of two stars at LSU. Oh, man. But Iowa, they're playing in the Citrus Bowl against Kentucky, and it's a really nice matchup for Iowa. Kentucky doesn't really do anything that's like you should be scared of. Chris Rodriguez is a very nice running back. But there's really nothing you look at and go, that's a team that the Iowa should be afraid of. They're a really well-coached team. I mean, it's a Stoops, so it makes sense. But they're nothing that's spectacular. Will Levis, fine quarterback. Got some decent wideouts, decent defense. But, yeah, they're 30th national scoring. 22nd in rushing offense, 72nd in pass offense, 32nd in scoring, 19th in rush defense, 52nd in pass defense, and 127th, which is really bad, in turnover margin there, minus 13. They don't get a lot of turnovers. Oh, seven, Brent Venables officially became the Oklahoma head coach, as we as expected. <laughs> uh, wow, never would have saw that one coming. Goodness gracious. But yeah, Brent Venables, head coach at Oklahoma. But this is a game that I think Iowa matches up well with. This is a game that they should really have no problems with because Kentucky's a, a good team, solid players. But there's nothing that Iowa really realistically shouldn't be able to handle. Realistically. Defense is all right. Offense, really good. Not really good, but good all-around offense, rushing and passing. Again, Will Levis is decent. Chris Rodriguez is a nice running back. So it'll be hard to stop, but there's nothing. There's no Hutchinson or a Jabo coming off the edge. So it'll be tough. And they're technically the away team in this game. But you know what? I think Iowa can handle their own and take down the Kentucky Wildcats. And the thing that's really funny about this, about them being in Orlando for the Capital One or uh, for the Citrus Bowl, Iowa State 
is in the Cheez-It Bowl, which I found out this morning is no longer the former Insight Bowl. It is a game down in Orlando as well. So in the span of about a week, Orlando is going to have two waves of Iowans. The 29th of January or 29th of December and the 1st of January. I don't know, realistically, if there's enough bush light in the world to supply Orlando for that drove of Iowa fans and Iowa State fans, just Iowans in general. I don't know if there exists an enough uh, amount of bush light that would work for that. I don't think there is. I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong because I think that'd be really funny if they had that, but the world supply of bush light would be all be heading to Orlando. All of it. <laughs> I'm all for it. That'd be so awesome. One thing I love about Iowa's sports uh, fandom is that they travel to everything. Iowa and Iowa State fans. If you're talking about best traveling fans in the country, Iowa and Iowa State fans. And Bushlight will be flowing aplenty. They might, you know, state of Florida, we already know, is going underwater. At least that's what it looks like. At least in some portions, part of it has gone underwater. They might fill the whole state up with Bushlight. If we're being honest, to, to fill to, to fill the needs of Iowa and Iowa State fans in that game. Because remember the Alamo Bowl a few years ago with Iowa State? They drank the bush light dry. And Iowa State fans, now that they know Iowa's going to be there a couple days later, you know how much more bush light they're going to drink? Because they want to try and put them out of bush light altogether. Like, Iowa State will be perfectly fine drinking as much bush light as possible if that meant Iowa is getting zero bush light. Because they feel confident that they did that. But they're taking on Clemson, which is a very fun game. I would have never seen that game happening in a million years. But I also never would have thought they would ever play Notre Dame in a bowl game, which they did. So, you know what? I never thought they'd make a Fiesta Bowl. So they're doing all these things recently that are really kind of cool. And I give them credit for it. And Clemson's nothing spectacular this year. I mean, they had gotten better as the season went on. They finished 9-3, and three, I believe. But they're nothing amazing. Their offense, again, is on par with Iowa's, which if you know... <laughs> It's not saying a whole lot. Iowa State, you know what? Weirdly, I know it's against Clemson. I think Iowa State can win. I really think Iowa State can win that game. I really do. And Iowa, I think they can beat Kentucky. I think we can realistically go on December 2nd saying that Iowa and Iowa State not only won both bowl games, but drank all the bush light in Florida. Because I don't know if bush light really flows like water in Florida like it does in Iowa. Like the Mississippi State River, or Mississippi River, it's pretty brown. Sailorville Lake here in Des Moines, it's pretty brown. You know what? It's not dirt or algae or any of that. It's just filled up with beer. That's where Iowa's supply of bush light is, is in the water supply, in the lakes and the rivers of the state of Iowa. So we're going to need to take all that down to Florida. <laughs> it's going to be busy. And some of the other games going on this year are the New Year's Six Bowl games. The Peach Bowl on December 30th is Michigan State versus Pitt, which will be a lot of fun. A lot of fun game. Two completely different styles of offense, but I would assume Pitt would win because like we've talked about numerous times, Michigan State's defense is trash and Pitt, Kenny Pickett, should have a very nice game in that game. Michigan State, I mean, uh, Pitt's defense is all right. It's not the spectacular, but it's not, you know, borderline high school defense. And we got Alabama and Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl on December 31st. Orange Bowl is Michigan, Georgia, which will be fun. Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame versus Oklahoma State, which is a game that, uh, you know, I don't really want to watch. I like Spencer Sanders. I like Mike Gundy. I have no issues with Oklahoma State. That game's not going to be very fun, I would imagine. I don't really want to watch Jack Cohn play football. 
It's not one of my favorite things to do. Rose Bowl, we got Ohio State and Utah. That should be a fun one. And the Sugar Bowl, Baylor and Ole Miss. I'm all for that one as well. There's some fun bowl games this year, and I think we're at the point now where we should be reaching the time where all the bowl games are out, officially. We got three more minutes, and then the bowl games are out. So while we're talking about the just college football in general, let's go over some of the other bowl, the conference championship games that happened. We talked about Pitt. Uh, they trounced Wake Forest 45-21. to Wake Forest is up 21 to 14 at the end of the first. And the fact that they finished 45 to 21 is insane. Kenny Pickett had one of the coolest touchdowns you'll ever see. The fake slide. But in college football, you know, when you go down without getting touched or re- go down regardless, you're down. In the NFL, you know, you can go down and get back up. It's like when you've seen Michael Vick, I don't remember what game it was against or what team it was against, but he had a fake slide. I think it was against the Panthers. I could be wrong about that. But Mike Vick against the Panthers did a fake slide. And it was sick. Kenny Pickett did it. Oh, it was, oh, it was beautiful. And I saw people on Twitter complaining about, oh, this is going to lead to more targeting calls for college football players. We're going to get a lot more players getting hurt and all this stuff. Nope. Screw you. That was cool. I'm all for it. Kenny Pickett, baller. Two touchdowns throwing in the game. Had a rushing touchdown there as well. This is kind of sad. He had 58 yards on that one carry for the touchdown. He finished with 20 yards total rushing, (laughs) which is... Not ideal. He put up, like, the greatest number statistically, but he played well, and Pitt dominated. He had a sick rushing touchdown in there as well, so you know what? I'm all for it. Other games as well, we had Cincinnati beating Houston 35-20. to 21 points in the third quarter. It was 14-13 at halftime in the game. Then 21 points in the third kind of sealed the deal there. Desmarner, three touchdowns through the air in the game, 190 yards. Good game. Good game for Cincinnati. Struggled in the first half, but came back lively in the third quarter to dominate the game. Then we had Baylor, like we said, beating Oakley State. Uh, Utah State, yeah. We said if you shut down their rush or pat, rush attack, they're done. They're garbage if they have to pass the ball. Not a lot of teams can do that, though. That's easier said than done. I did not think, like, Utah State winning this game did not surprise me. It's the fact that Utah State won by the margin they did. 46-13? to 13? Goodness gracious, Logan Bonner, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for his last name. I, I mean, I in a perfect world, his last name would be Boner, and that'd be really funny. But you know what? I'm going to assume for his sake, and since because his name's Logan, I'll defend him a little bit and say it's Bonner. Okay, He had four passing touchdowns in the game, also had negative two yards rushing, which is not what you want to see. But you know what? Don't matter. They dominated San Diego State. It was a really nice defense and threw 46 points up against them. And then what I thought was kind of the mortal lock of the week in regards to college football games this weekend, Louisiana versus Appalachian State. This game confused the hell out of me because Appy State was favored by three or two and a half or three. I can't remember. I don't understand why. Appalachian State and Louisiana already played this year. And Louisiana won the game. What was the final score of that game? 41 to 13. And it's at Louisiana again. I didn't think they'd blow the doors off them again, but they were underdogs at home against the team they already killed earlier in the year? That doesn't make any sense to me. And I watched part of the game. We were flipping back between this game and the Georgia-Alabama game because, I mean, partially with the Cincinnati and uh, Houston game, but I liked watching. Levi Lewis is a very fun quarterback to watch, so I like watching him. He didn't have the most insane game ever, but you know what? They won the game 24-16. to 16. And then there was one other game this weekend as well. 
I don't know why it was allowed to be played on Conference Championship Day. I don't know how many people watched it because of the fact it was on at 10 o'clock at night. Cal won 24-14 against USC. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> Congratulations to Cal on going 5-7, and seven, USC 4-8. and eight. And then the final game, I guess, I kind of forgot about this one. Northern Illinois beats Kent State 41-23. Not a great game from Rocky Lombardi in this game, but he didn't need to do a lot because Jay Ducker rushed for 146 yards, and Ontario Brown ran for a further 75 yards to finish with 266 yards on the ground with four touchdowns. Lombardi, three rushing touchdowns on the game. They just killed Kent State on the ground. Dustin Crum didn't do a whole lot this game, throwing the ball, two interceptions to his name, only had 68 yards rushing, which is kind of low for what are the stu- some of the stuff he's been doing this season. Like he's had 114 yards rushing, 72, 93, 72, 93, 70. Like he's had a lot of very, I guess it's not really low for his standards, but it's low. And the way they lost the game, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. And I think now we should, one second, look at that. Refresh it, create an entry, play now. I'm already in. I wanna I wanna create one. Let me do it. <laughs> I wanna I wanna go picks. Can I not do it right now? Matches will be available right now. Matches will be available right now. Why won't you let me choose one? I want to play. I want to I want to create an entry, but it won't let me. <laughs> this this hurts. I want to do it. It's being mean to me. I accidentally created three brackets because I, I don't know what I'm doing right now. Come on, let me play. Let me let me look at some of the other bowl games. I guess we'll have to do this on Wednesday because it's not really working for me. Or after we go over some of the NFL games that are going on this right now. So I waited to do this show because there was a lot of fun games at the 3 o'clock hour today. At least that finished really fun. But earlier today, we had the Chargers kill the Bengals. Which was not was was kind of surprising, especially because of the fact, though it finished forty-one to twenty-two, the Bengals scored twenty-two unanswered points to bring it up to forty twenty-two to twenty-four. Joe Burrow, I don't know what he did to his pinky, broke it, fractured it, sprained it. It was puffy. Like if you saw a puffer fish, or put your finger into one of those um, a, a ball, I don't know. <laughs> it looked it looked like that. The Chargers ended up killing him though. Uh, Allison Eckler had somewhat of a fumbling issue today, but it didn't matter. It didn't really matter. Joe Burrow threw two interceptions in the game. Joe Mixon had a touchdown. Still hasn't fumbled on the year, which is very impressive. And yeah, Chargers won. Now are 7-5 and five on the season. This will work mightily for the tiebreaker scenarios. And we had the Bucks beat the Falcons today, 30-17. to 17. Tom Brady has thrown an interception in five straight games now. This one was a pick six today. Not the greatest performance, but, you know, they won. We had the Cardinals beating the Bears and the least surprising result we saw this weekend. Maybe the most surprising part is that the Bears scored 22 points. Maybe that's the most surprising. Andy Dalton threw four interceptions in the game. Bears stink. Matt Nagy, I don't know how he still has a job. Cardinals are the first team to 10 wins on the season. And then we had the Dolphins beating the Giants, which wasn't very surprising as well. 20-9. The Dolphins have won five straight games now. After winning their first game of the season, losing seven straight, now we're on a five-game run and are 6-7 and seven now. On the season, Tua is playing fairly well at this point. Jalen Waddell is looking very nice as well. Then we had the Eagles with Gardner Minshew because Jalen Hurts was out with an injury, beating the Jets 33-18. to Jets were up 12-7 to at the end of the first, and then Gardner Minshew, you know, did Gardner Minshew stuff, threw for 242 yards and two touchdowns. Zach Wilson threw an interception in the game. 
threw two touchdowns as well. Tevin Coleman had 58 yards on the ground. And Miles Sanders had 120 yards rushing in the game for a very nice Eagles performance. And then now we're going to have the conversation again. Should Jalen Hurts be starting over Gardner Minshew because he beat the Jets? Should we have this conversation? No, but it's going to be talked about. I guarantee it's going to be talked about should Gardner Minshew start for the Jets or for Eagles further on. Then we have the Colts. Colts beating up on the Texans 31 to nothing. Jonathan Taylor has scored again, which is not very surprising. Texans benched Tyrod Taylor, which is kind of surprising because I like Tyrod and I don't like to see him benched. And yeah, 31 nothing was the final there. The Washington football team beat the Raiders 17 to 15, the second straight game. They've had a game finish 17 to 15, which is weird. I know Scorigami is only for like specific games, but what's the odds of a team scoring the same amount of points and giving up the exact same number of points in back-to-back weeks? That can't be very often. And we had the Rams, again, a fairly unsurprising result, beating up on the Jaguars 37-7. Steelers beat the Ravens 20-19 in a very exciting finish. The Ravens missed on a two-point conversion to win the game to go up 21-19, or 21-20. And then the Seahawks beat the 49ers, the Seahawks, Batted a ball at the line of scrimmage when Jimmy Garoppolo was about ready to find a receiver in the end zone and won the game. So we had two games end barn burner style, and then the Raiders and Washington football team ended barn burner style as well with a field goal. But that one, it was a little farther back for the Raiders to come back. And the midseason collapse of the Las Vegas Raiders has commenced, winning one of their last five games. They has now started. <laughs> And the only reason they beat the Cowboys is because they had 28 penalties in the game. Screw them. And some BS penalties along the way as well. And right now, we've got the Chiefs up on the Broncos 10-3 with 13 minutes left in the second quarter. But the game we have to talk about is the Vikings and Lions. And ladies and gentlemen, give a round of applause to the Detroit Lions on getting their first dub of the season against a very predictable Vikings team. That has been underachieving all season, much like Matt Nagy, Mike Zimmer, GTFO. Not Maybe not right now, but he's going to be gone at the end of the season. We're going to have two new coaches in the NFC North. Maybe it depends on how heartless the Fords are if they fire Dan Campbell. I hope they don't because I like Dan Campbell, and he has, a, I mean, he has to pick up Matt Patricia's mess. So it's kind of hard for him to be a decent team this year. We had him winning two games. The two wins were against the Vikings and the Bears. So they got one of those wins, and they're 1-10-1. So every team this year has a win. Every team. So congratulations to the Detroit Lions on getting that dub. And that one was a last-second play as well. Jared Goff, who I believe was a Monroe St. Brown, for the game-winning touchdown. Beautiful. My dad and I had NFL Red Zone on all day. Because this is a beautiful thing about your team not playing. No stress. You sit back, watch football all day on the Red Zone channel. And they just flip back and forth between games. And it's very nice. And you see all the fun stuff that happened. We had a lot of fun games today. For a lot of matchups that weren't really that exciting to begin with, you had some very, very, very fun games. I give them credit. I give them credit. But the Eagles, I would I, I would bench Minshew if, if Hurts is not back to play Reed Senate. That's what I would do. You might call me biased, but that's, a, that's what I would do. That is what I would do. And then the game... That everybody's concerned about the Bills and the Patriots. Some Monday night football. Oh boy. Monday night is going to be crazy. Because right now, thanks to the Ravens going for two and missing it against the Steelers, we have a three-way tie at eight and four 
in the AFC with the freaking Patriots back as the number one team in the AFC. This can't happen. And the Bills, the only reason this is like this is because the Bills had their buy and the Patriots haven't. Patriots are 8-4. They'll be 8-5 or 9-4 at the end of this game tomorrow. So I'm nervous. I think the Bills should be able to handle their three-point favorites in this game. It's supposed to be snowy in Buffalo. It's going to be cold. Bills don't have Tredavious White, and the Patriots are good running the ball. So I don't know. I'm a little nervous. And I just despise the Patriots. This is building up my hatred for the Patriots again because you had a nice, like, by year pretty much last year with the Patriots and the Bills where the Bills just kind of dominated them, especially in that last game in New England. But now it's back. In the NFL, they're networking, like on Fox. They're already do they're already getting to this stuff right now. And you looked at some I don't know if anybody I don't know if we talked about this or if not, whatever. We're gonna talk about it again, even if we did. They had a graphic on Fox going over some of the big games this weekend. So you had guys like Kyler Murray on the first set, Cardinals Bears, Lamar Jackson for the Ravens and Steelers. I think I had Patrick Mahomes, you know, three of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So for the Bills Patriots, you would expect the guy that finished second in the MVP race last year, right? No. It's Mac Jones for the graphic for Bills Patriots. Really? We're back like that. They went seven and nine or six and ten last year. Who the hell knows? Don't care. And now we're already back to this Patriots thing. Oh, man. We're cool with that. And Sean McDermott, the Bills head coach this last week, his press conference was just like the number one Patriots. Because he knows locker room's listening. Hopefully this motivates them. They cannot lose to the Patriots. It's been one nice year, and the team started getting good. Dolphins are getting better. Jets are going to be better. I know they're not great right now, but they will be better. And the Patriots are good. And I know at the beginning of the season, I said I didn't really fear the Patriots. I do. That opinion has ceased to exist, is now gone. Mostly because, maybe not because of what the Patriots have done, more so of the fact that the Bills have played bad against the Jaguars and Colts and Steelers, teams that they should not really have had any problems with, no disrespect to those teams, especially the Jaguars, and lost to the Titans, a team the Patriots just slaughtered, but the Titans did not have any of their best players. So I don't really fault them too much for not winning that game. But man, Monday Night Football, Bills Steelers, Bills Patriots, sorry, don't even care. Matchup of the season, and I am, whew, stressing. I'm stressing very heavy in this game. Josh, do your thing. Beat the Patriots. Matthew Judon's the one I'm scared of the most. I'm scared of Matthew Judon more than anything. Matthew Judon scares the shit out of me. Dude's got like 11 and a half sacks this year. And with the Bills O-line being as bad as it is, he might add to that total on Monday. Good thing, though, is Spencer Brown's back, or should be back, so that we don't need to see Cody Ford in the lineup anymore. But with the way Deion Dawkins is playing, I just, yeah, it's going to be a... I, on Cole and Company on Friday, I usually go over picks of the week. This was a game I picked, and I don't know why. I wasn't confident when I said it, I'm not confident now. I think I would just set it to try and instill confidence in myself, but I don't, I'm not. I'm not confident. I'm not very confident in this game whatsoever. Oh man, why did the Patriots have to be back? This wasn't supposed to be this early. It wasn't supposed to be this early. We we're supposed to be good to go. This is atrocious. This is terrible, and I don't like it. 
You know what? I'm going to call this a hate crime. I'm calling, I'm calling targeted abuse towards the New England Patriots. And I know it's not maybe the exact definition you're looking for in a hate crime, but to quote Michael Squat, well, I hated it. Why are you back already? This is miserable, miserable, miserable stuff. And I don't like it. And I can't get back to my college football game day or my, my picks either. So I can't even look at the bowl games that are going on right now. Or at least I can't pick them anyways, which is upsetting. So what we're going to try and do, since I can't pick games right now, we're going to go through and just see if I can rattle off or they'll allow us to rattle off some bowl games this year. Okay, so we got... Toledo and Middle Tennessee State in the, what bowl game is it? It's not, the Bahamas Bowl, the, everybody's favorite bowl. Then we got Northern Illinois versus Coastal Carolina in the Tailgate, Tailgreeter Cure Bowl. Good Lord, there's going to be some cancerous sponsors on here, aren't they? Ugh, yeah. <laughs> Appy State versus Western Kentucky could actually be fun. That's the Boca Raton Bowl. That's on the 18th. UTEP, Fresno State. BYU versus UAB. Eastern Michigan versus Liberty, which I would hope Liberty doesn't have a problem in, but you never know. They're playing in the Lending Tree Bowl. And then you got Utah State, Oregon State, which that'll be a fun one. And Louisiana and Marshall. Marshall has a good defense. Louisiana has a really fun offense. That will be a fun one. Then on the 20th of December, we got Old Dominion and Tulsa. Moving on to the 21st, Kent State, Wyoming in the Idaho Potato Bowl. You know, the game Josh Allen won his MVP in. You know what? Before he announced he's going to the NFL. Then UTSA versus San Diego State. Two very run-heavy teams taking on each other. That one will be kind of fun. That one is in the Frisco Bowl. That'll be a fun one. And then we got Missouri and Army on December 22nd in the Armed Forces Bowl. North Texas and... Oh, speaking of Army, we got the Army-Navy game next weekend. So make sure you tune into that. We'll talk about that one more as we get to Saturday, Friday. Thursday the 23rd, we got North Texas-Miami and USCF and Florida. Ugh. Oh, no. In Tampa, too. The Gasparilla Bowl. So those fans don't even need to travel that far. Then we got to the 24th, Memphis and Hawaii in the Hawaii Bowl. No surprise, Hawaii's in that. The 25th on Christmas, Georgia State versus Ball State in the Camellia Bowl. Monday, the 27th, Western Michigan versus Nevada. That one could be a pretty fun one. Boston College versus East Carolina. Western Michigan and Nevada are playing in the Quick Lane Bowl. On the 28th, we got Houston and Auburn, which could be kind of fun in the Birmingham Bowl. Air Force and Louisville in the First Responders Bowl. That one could be kind of fun. Two run-happy offense as well. Malik Cunningham has been balling out on the ground this year for Louisville. Mississippi State versus Texas Tech. The Mike Leach Bowl, pretty much. It's a Liberty Bowl there. 6-6 six and six, Texas Tech versus 7-5 and five at Mississippi State. UCLA versus NC State. Ooh, and the Holiday Bowl. I'm for that one. That's in Petco Park. Did they tear down Qualcomm yet? Or whatever the hell that stadium's called now? But UCLA versus NC State. I, I'm for that one. That'll be fun. Western West Virginia taking on Minnesota in the guaranteed rate bowl. Then on the 29th, we got SMU, Virginia, Maryland, Virginia Tech, Iowa State, Clemson, which again, I think Iowa State really can win. Then Oregon and Oklahoma, which could be a pretty fun game right there as well. Two teams that were ranked pretty high and started to fall like a freaking rock towards the latter parts of the season. And then we got on the 30th, North Carolina versus South Carolina. Whoo! In the Mayo Bowl in Charlotte. Let's go. Battle the Carolinas right there. We got Tennessee, Purdue, Pitt, Michigan State that we already talked about will be a really fun one. Wisconsin, Arizona State could be a pretty decent one. Then on the 31st, we got Wake Forest and Texas A&M, which will be a lot of fun. I'm for that one. That's in the Gator Bowl. Washington State versus Miami in the Sun Bowl. Central Michigan versus Boise in the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl, which could be kind of fun. 
Then we got the college football playoffs, Cincy, Alabama, then Georgia and Michigan. On the first, we got Iowa, Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl, Penn State and Arkansas in the Outback Bowl, which should be a pretty interesting one. Then we got Oklahoma State, Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, Utah, Ohio State in the Capital One Bowl, or in the Rose Bowl, uh, Baylor and Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl, and then on the fourth, we got LSU taking on Kansas State in the Texas Bowl. Oh, man, we got some fun college football games to come up over this next month. I hope you are as ready for it as I am. Do I have anything else for you today? I do not think so. I think that's it. I think that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you didn't, I can apologize. I'll only apologize for that. Oh, this to leave you on this. Alabama 12 and 1, Michigan 12 and 1. Strength of schedule or strength of ranked Alabama first, Michigan second. Strength of schedule Alabama fourth, Michigan 21st. FBI versus top 40, Michigan 5 and 1, Alabama 9 and 1. But yeah, Michigan deserves to be number one. And with that, I will see you all later. Hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I apologize. Make sure you go and follow me on all forms of social media. And with that, I will see you all later. Peace.